0: No, I did. I'm did. i getting rave reviews for what I did for
1: Roger Stone. <laughs> rave reviews? This isn't a Broadway show, you knucklehead. It's the constitutional core of our system of justice. Well, I don't know why I came here tonight. Jackass. I got the feeling that something right. No, it ain't. I'm so scared in case I fall off my chair. And I'm wondering how I'll get down the stairs. From Pacifica Radio in Los Angeles, this is the broadcast as heard on KPFK 90.7 FM in L.A., also in Red Bluff and Redding, California, on KFOI, Round Mountains, KKRN, and Eureka's KGOE. Up in Oregon on the Central Coast on KYAQ, Cottage Grove's KSO and Eugene's KEPW. In Lancaster, Pennsylvania on WLRI, Maui, Hawaii's KAKU. In Columbus, Ohio on WGRN, Palinville, New York's WLPP. In Grand Rapids on WPRR, down in New Orleans on WHIV. Out in Gallup, New Mexico on KNIZ, Concord, New Hampshire's WNHN, Fayetteville, Arkansas's KPSQ. In Seattle on KODX, Janesville, Wisconsin's WADR, and Minneapolis, St. Paul's AM950, KTNF, amongst other fine terrestrial stations. And yes, we stream on the internets as well, coast to coast and around the globe on the Progressive Voices Channel, Netroots Radio, Radio for Humans, FYI Nation, NicoleSandler.com, Radio Free Brooklyn, Workforce Rising, Deprogrammed Radio, and Detour Talk, Blanketing Planet Earth five days a week. I'm Brad Friedman, your friendly investigative blogger, journalist, troublemaker, muckraker, and all-around swell fellow, says me, from BradBlog.com. Thank you very much for joining us today. So, yeah, Donald Trump's longtime buddy and political dirty trickster, Roger Stone, was found guilty... On seven counts of lying to Congress, to federal investigators, to witness tampering, the jury found he was guilty as charged on all counts, and federal prosecutors recommended about eight years in prison for the man who now admits that, yes, he was covering up for his friend Donald Trump in the federal investigation into Russian interference of the 2016 presidential election. Instead of eight years, Roger Stone was given just three years in federal prison after the most corrupt attorney general in the history of the country, Bill Barr, interceded to ask for less time than his own federal prosecutors had asked for. uh, For the president's friend, after Donald Trump had publicly complained about the initial sentencing recommendation, the career federal prosecutors who made that recommendation then quit the case in protest But even that was not enough. Just days before Stone was to report to jail this past week, Donald Trump used his presidential power of the pardon to commute Stone's sentence to zero days in prison. And that was that. The cover up was complete and everyone was off the hook, right? Well, no, not right. Not necessarily. A group of well-known, well-respected constitutional attorneys this week have now filed a motion in this federal case with the U.S. District Court judge who oversaw the trial and the sentencing of Roger Stone to argue that Trump's executive grant of clemency to Stone is, in fact, unlawful and unconstitutional and now must be overturned. That, of course, if it were to happen, would be huge news, but uh, with everything else going on, I suspect most of our listeners have not even heard about this stunning motion that was filed this week. One of those well-respected constitutional attorneys who filed that motion this week in federal court will join us momentarily to explain it. The uh, long running insane Roger Stone case and the cover up of presidential misdeeds may not, in fact, be over yet. We will see. That's coming up shortly. But first, in just one of the stories that may have prevented you from hearing about that breaking news in the Roger Stone case, the U.S. was hit with more than 75,600 new cases of COVID-19 on Thursday, breaking its record of daily new cases. It was the 11th time that that record was broken in the 16 days of July to date as of Thursday. The New York uh, Times' COVID-19 database shows that 75,671 people were all confirmed to have been infected in one single day, With the uh, coronavirus, uh, this was just Thursday alone, surpassing previous single-day records, blowing it away, in fact, blowing away the 68,248 new cases last Friday.
2: Wow, that's almost 10,000 more.
1: Yep. That was uh, just one week earlier. And by the way, we're well on our way to uh, what Dr. Anthony Fauci had predicted would be as much as 100,000 cases per day. That was just a few days ago. Kind of stunned everyone. Well, we're halfway there. I think there was about 50,000 per day at the time. Now we're up to more than 75,000. There are now more than three and a half million cases overall in the U.S. alone, and more than 138,000 Americans have now died from the virus in this country. The rate of infection has skyrocketed nationwide over the past several weeks, particularly in Florida and Arizona, but also in Texas, Georgia, Nevada, South Carolina, Oklahoma, California, and other states, which continue to break their own state records virtually every day now, not just uh, in new cases confirmed, but hospitalizations and, yes, now deaths as the U.S. continually breaks record after record in the pandemic, our president, Donald Trump, has been attempting to brush off the crisis, falsely claiming that the figures are being skewed by increased testing and that the virus is actually, it's going away, it's disappearing. It is not disappearing, unless disappearing now means increasing at a disturbing pace. Amid Trump's efforts to whitewash the pandemic, his administration took the eyebrow raising step this week of ordering states to start sending their data on COVID-19 directly to the Department of Health and Human Services controlled by the White House instead of to the Centers of Disease Control and Prevention, the CDC, drawing concerns that the administration may begin concealing. Some of this alarming data on the uh, pandemic in the run up to this year's presidential election, instead of allowing the CDC to report this uh, data publicly. Well, sure enough, on Thursday, CNBC found that the data has now been wiped from the CDC's website. We called the White House today to see if we could get comment.
2: Thank you for calling the White House. Please listen carefully as our menu options have changed. To find the location of the next KKK meeting in your area, press 1. To collect your Putin bounty for killing an American soldier, press 2. To hear a list of the president's latest racist tweets, press 3. If you've been sexually assaulted by President Trump, please call again as that mailbox is full. (laughs) To report a COVID case, please hang up and call after the election. Your estimated wait time for a new president is roughly six months. Please check back on January 21st. Seniors needing immediate assistance. Goodbye. Oh, man. That's brutal.
1: (laughs) Ouch. Uh, Well, we're not sure who. uh, Well, okay, so we didn't really call the White House. That wasn't actually (laughs) our recording. We're not sure who actually created that. But it does seem to have been posted by someone on Twitter named B. Gucci. And of course, uh, yes, for the record, it is fake. But in a uh, bizarrely related and not fake at all story, by the way, hi, Desi Doyen. Hi. You've been over there uh, <laughs> chirping in, but I haven't got to say hello. Hello. Uh, hi. So in a, this is a, everything is bizarre these days, but uh, just days after his full-throated rejection of all things related to the coronavirus was retweeted by the president of the United States, Donald Trump, Former game show host Chuck Woolery's Twitter account was no more. On Sunday, Trump had retweeted an unhinged tweet from the ex-Wheel of Fortune host, and don't forget the ex-Love Connection host, Trump retweeted his tweet uh, that had accused health experts of, quote, lying about COVID-19, claiming that doctors and the CDC were conspiring with Democrats and the media to sabotage Donald Trump with, quote, outrageous lies about COVID-19. So on Sunday, Woolery wrote, quote, the most outrageous lies are the ones about COVID-19. Everyone is lying. The CDC, the media, Democrats, our doctors, not all, but most that we are told to trust. I think it's all about the election, keeping the economy from coming back, which is about the election. I am sick of it. Woolery we'll retweeted before the president of the United States actually retweeted that himself. That set off a firestorm. It triggered questions from White House reporters as to whether Trump was attacking his own health officials assertions about the virus. CBS News' Catherine Herridge, formerly of Fox News, by the way, asked Trump, uh, quote, You reposted a tweet yesterday saying that CDC and health officials are lying. You understand this is confusing for the public. So who do they believe, you or the medical professionals like Dr. Fauci? Trump then told Harridge, and I'll just read this quote uh, verbatim and you can decide what the hell it means. Uh, Trump said, I didn't make a comment. I did. I reposted a tweet that a lot of people feel, but all I'm doing is making a comment. I thought you just said you didn't make a comment. I'm just putting somebody's voice out there. There are many voices. There are many people that think we shouldn't do this kind of testing because all we do, it's a trap. Testing people. Apparently, is a trap in Trump's adult brain right now, you know, testing people so we can figure out where the where the the, the the virus is so that we can treat it so that we can do something about it so we can, you know, get people. Yes. Back to work. Yes. Back to school. Yes. We can tr- try to turn the economy around. But other than that, you know, it's it's just it's a trap. So that was uh, that was the tweet and, and, and Trump's uh, retweet of it on Sunday and then late on Monday in a dizzying about face from Chuck Woolery himself. In fact, in a pretty much complete and total reversal, Woolery issued a tweet suddenly affirming the existence of the coronavirus, which he had just called a big lie the day before.
2: What?
1: He said he tweeted, uh, quote, to further clarify and add perspective, COVID-19 is real. And it is here adding my son tested positive for the virus. And I feel for those suffering and especially for those who have lost loved ones. So in other words, forget about all that wingnut crap that I posted yesterday that was retweeted by the president of the United States. I didn't mean it. Instead, I'm giving this complete reversal that I'll call a further clarification and added perspective. Well, that uh, clarification and added perspective was that everything he said in the previous tweet should be entirely ignored because, as it turns out, COVID is not a lie because now my son has it and is sick with it. And then he deleted his entire Twitter account.
2: (laughs) Wow, that's quite a reversal.
1: Bye, Chuck. See ya. Uh, it's unclear whether his son's condition, uh, the reactions to his original tweet, or something else prompted Woolery to remove his account. But for all the people who who use that sort of joke in response to idiots on Twitter, that you know, delete your account. Well, Woolery actually did it. <laughs> well, there so you go. So we got to give him credit for that. <sighs> so yes, uh, we are all going crazy right now. All of us, uh, for the record, while uh, this story is uh, somewhat amusing because it's another example of a wingnut making a fool out of themselves or uh, rather documented science and facts making a fool out of the wingnut. In truth, we hope nothing but the best for Willery's son. Of course. And in fact, for Willery himself. But his son certainly deserves much less of an idiot for a father I'm hoping he'll be okay, And because Trump put himself into the middle of this one, I don't mind reporting it. But the truth is, you know, I've seen countless examples over the past several months of right wing idiots who actually end up dying from this disease after they had gone out and ranted online about what a hoax this is. And, oh, I will never wear a mask because I believe in freedom or whatever, all that sort of nonsense. And these people who later end up dead. And then afterwards, if you will, going viral posthumously with their unhinged Facebook or Twitter rants denying the virus. I shared one such account of a woman uh, in Texas, I think it was, very early on in this pandemic by way of trying to warn folks to not listen to these idiot deniers out there. Uh, But I haven't done so since because really it's just it's it's horrible and it's tragic. Yeah, it really is. You know, but in this case, you got uh, Donald Trump inserting himself into it, I and uh, hopefully Woolery's son is going to be fine. But please, people, this is not a hoax. This is life and death, and it is getting worse. It is not getting better. It is not just going away, as the President of the United States repeatedly says over and over again. It is not a trick so that Dr. Anthony Fauci and Bill Gates can somehow take over and control the whole world or make billions of dollars, which Bill Gates already owns. So it's unclear why he would, you know, w- w- want to do this to make more billions. I don't know. It's a, it's a deadly and incredibly contagious disease. It needs to be controlled and eradicated. Or, you know, if you think things are bad now, Just wait for how bad this will really become. I remember early on when I was, uh, you know, talking about this and people were sort of ignoring it. They didn't think it was a big deal. Right after the lockdowns began, they said, well, how do you think we're going to be locked down for what? Another two weeks, a month. That was months and months ago. And I said, well, you know what? What the science tells us is it could be more like 12 to 18 months. And people, you know, thought I was nuts. They didn't want to hear it. Well, that's still what we're looking at at this point. And it could get much worse. And not just disease-wise, but economy-wise. It's it's already going to get much worse before it gets better on, on both of those scores, both the disease and the economy, because of it. And, and just no amount of pretending it away is, is you know, because it's going to, Affect the upcoming election, I guess. No, no amount of that is going to change it. So please stay safe. Take care of yourselves. Please push back kindly and respectfully at others who are unwilling to do so, who are unwilling to do the right thing for for their sake, for your sake, for all of our sakes, please. Okay. anyway. In other roller coaster news that uh, we do need to worry about today, because we're never at a loss for that, uh, after being admitted to the hospital overnight for an infection on Tuesday and freaking all of us out in the bargain, Justice Ruth Bader Ginsburg was then uh, treated and released on Wednesday after being held for observation overnight and was then said to be at home and, quote, doing well. And then we have this troubling news breaking out on Friday. Supreme Court Justice Ruth Bader Ginsburg revealed on Friday she is being treated for a recurrence of cancer after lesions were found on her liver. The 87-year-old justice said she is tolerating chemotherapy well and remains fully able to serve on the court. In a statement released by the court, Ginsburg said a periodic scan in February and a subsequent biopsy revealed the lesions Immunotherapy, however, proved unsuccessful, but chemotherapy, which she began receiving in mid-May, is, quote, yielding positive results. She said, my most recent scan on July 7 indicated significant reduction of the liver lesions and no new disease. She said, I am tolerating chemotherapy well and am encouraged by the success of my current treatment. I will continue biweekly chemotherapy to keep my cancer at bay and am able to maintain an active daily routine. She has uh, been treated for cancer four times before. She had surgery for pancreatic cancer 11 years ago. She was also been treated for colon cancer in late 2018. Part of her lung was removed after uh, doctors found three cancerous spots. And last year she had a tumor removed from her pancreas. So the infection uh, was treated at the hospital this week that was unrelated to the cancer. So this is a separate issue. She has continued to write Supreme Court opinions throughout the term as she was dealing with this, uh, the term that ended earlier this month, authoring more, by the way, than any other justices except for Chief Justice John Roberts and uh, Brett Kavanaugh.
2: She is tough.
1: She is tough, and she said she intends to continue working. Good, good. She says yes throughout She writes, I have kept up with opinion writing and all other court work. She has. I have often said I would remain a member of the court as long as I can do the job full steam. I remain fully able to do that, she says.
2: Making sure that that's very, very clear to anybody who might be hoping she might retire.
1: Yep. Uh, Or die, unfortunately. Well, yeah,
2: Republicans have made no secret of that.
1: Uh, uh, You know what? I'll tell you what. Uh, Clearly, at this point... With everything that's going on, I mean, we are going to be limping to the finish line of this presidency at this point, if we make it to that finish line at all. But even with just 109 days until Election Day and now just 187 days until Inauguration Day next year, but who's counting? There is likely to be a lot more action at this Supreme Court before we get there likely on some pretty huge matters where Ruth Bader Ginsburg will be needed. So we will need the notorious RBG in good health at least until January of next year. And one of those uh, pretty huge matters uh, may be related to my next guest, who filed a motion this week arguing that President Trump's commutation of Roger Stone's prison sentence is in fact Unconstitutional. And that determination may be important to a whole bunch of other potential or even likely at this point presidential pardons that may lie ahead in the very near future. Perhaps even one for the president himself. Constitutional attorney Ben Clements of FreeSpeechForPeople.org joins us next on the broadcast to explain why this week's motion is so important. I'm Brad Friedman, and you are limping to the Bradcast. Don't go away. Hi, this is Brad. My thanks to those who stopped by bradblog.com slash donate to sign up for a subscription to the Bradcast of any amount you like. We rely on you to stay on your public airwaves Please grab a subscription at bradblog.com slash donate. Thank you. To be I frank, I don't even know which one, who is the law and who isn't the law at this point, And I don't know who won or lost. Welcome back to the Bradcast. Brad Friedman from bradblog.com. On Wednesday, the nonpartisan good government group Free Speech for People filed an urgent motion before the federal district court in U.S. v. Stone on behalf of constitutional law professors Judge Sugarman, who we've had as a guest on this show in the past, and Ethan Lieb seeking permission to submit an amicus or friend of the court brief arguing that the court should not automatically accept the executive grant of clemency issued late on a Friday night about a week ago for Donald Trump's longtime friend and former campaign official and longtime GOP dirty trickster going back to the Nixon days, Roger Stone. But rather, the group of attorneys argue, the judge should consider whether Trump's grant of clemency itself may, in fact, Be unconstitutional. Really? Yes, really. Stone was convicted by a jury on seven felony counts, including obstructing a congressional investigation by lying to Congress and witness intimidation. Yes, he actually threatened to kill a witness in this case and his dog. Stone was ultimately sentenced to 40 months or about three years in prison after Trump's newest personal fixer and U.S. Attorney General Bill Barr interceded in the case to undermine the DOJ's career prosecutors who had sought as many as eight years uh, for Stone, according to the mandated federal sentencing guidelines they followed in their submission to U.S. District Court Judge Amy Berman Jackson. Barr's men, the day after Trump complained in a tweet about it, told the judge that the original eight year recommendation was excessive for the sentencing and the career DOJ prosecutors who had worked for years to get the conviction in the case, subsequently resigned in protest in response. And then Stone was ultimately given just three years in prison, which were supposed to begin this past Tuesday. Before Donald Trump interceded and granted clemency on the uh, late on the Friday night before Stone's convictions stemmed from his repeated efforts to impede both Congress and special counsel Robert Mueller's investigation into Russia's alleged interference in the 2016 presidential elections, crimes that Stone now pretty much admits that he carried out in order to protect President Trump. As the sentencing judge Jackson explained in her closing remarks, Mr. Stone, quote, was prosecuted for covering up for the president. That cover up was successfully completed, it seemed, when Trump exercised his considerable constitutional Article two presidential powers to commute Stone's sentence from 40 months to zero months with a stroke of his pen. That was that. Except it isn't, according to the folks at Free Speech for People. This case isn't over, says Ron Fine, legal director at Free Speech for People, also a recent uh, guest on this program, by the way. Fine says the Supreme Court has acknowledged that the pardon power is not unlimited and the Constitution requires the president to exercise that power loyally and carefully in the public interest rather than in his own self-interest. But does Donald Trump ever do anything that is not in his own self-interest? And if that's what he did here, as seems 100 percent obvious to pretty much every sentient human being at this point, can it actually be prevented or overturned somehow at this point? The folks at Free Speech for People, citing Professors Sugarman and Lieb of Fordham Law School, in fact, think that it can be and that that argument should be allowed to be submitted to Judge Jackson for her consideration. In their motion filed on Wednesday, they write, Amici, that is the friends of the court, seek to advise the court of issues that are not likely to be raised by either the United States or the defendant. In particular, Amici seek to advise the court of reasons why the executive grant of clemency executed by President Donald John Trump With respect to the defendant in this matter, is or may not be constitutionally valid. This position, they write, is adverse to that of the defendant, but the United States, in other words, the Justice Department, who was previously attempting to hold Stone accountable until they appear to have abdicated themselves from that role. The Justice Department will not adequately represent Amici's interest in presenting these issues because the Department of Justice will not question the validity of an executive grant of clemency issued by the president. Free Speech for People cites Sugarman and Lieb's argument that the Article 2 of the U.S. Constitution, which also grants the president his pardon powers, twice imposes a duty of Quote, faithful execution on the president who must, quote, take care that the laws be faithfully executed and take an oath or affirmation to, quote, faithfully execute the office of president. But here the group seems to be arguing the president is doing no such thing. Joining us now to discuss what would be a remarkable turn of events among a series of already remarkable events is constitutional attorney Ben Clements. He is board chair and senior legal advisor at Free Speech for People and co-counsel on the motion that the group filed on Wednesday before Judge Jackson. Uh, Mr. Clements is a former federal prosecutor, former chief counsel to Massachusetts Governor Deval Patrick, and has been an attorney in the private and public sectors for more than 30 years with his expertise, including constitutional law. Welcome to the broadcast, Ben Clements. Thank
0: you, Brad. Good to be with you.
1: Good to have you here. Uh, So yeah, this would be a uh, remarkable, if fascinating, turn of events in the Stone case. First question, Ben, why must you seek a motion to submit a friend of the court brief in this case? Isn't anyone welcome to do so?
0: Well, not as a matter of course. uh, Particularly uh, in the trial courts, Mm -hmm. uh, amicus briefs are are not all that common. Mm -hmm. uh, And generally uh... it is expected that you would get permission from the court to file uh, an amicus brief but in this particular case uh... judge uh... jackson actually issued an order mm-hmm. uh... stating uh, earlier on that any party wishing to file an amicus brief in the case had to seek leave of court ah. and have that granted before filing the brief so the process that we have followed here of filing our motion Uh, and Mm -hmm. awaiting permission from the court before filing the brief uh, is in accordance with the order of the judge.
1: I gotcha. And before we get to the substance here, uh, as a number of folks have asked me about this since uh, Trump's executive grant of clemency a a week ago, Friday, what is the difference between granting a pardon, which reportedly Roger Stone did not want, and clemency, which is what he was ultimately granted?
0: Well, the... The phrase uh, clemency is, is actually a broader phrase that refers to uh, any relief from uh, a criminal mm-hmm. uh, judgment or sentence. Uh, and clemency includes um, both pardons, uh, which is essentially re- relief from the conviction itself, and commutations. And a commutation is simply uh, either a reduction in or, or, in this case, an elimination of the sentence in its entirety. Um, So they're both forms of executive clemency, Mm -hmm. uh, but the difference is a pardon uh, essentially relieves the defendant from the conviction in its entirety, whereas a commutation uh, simply relieves uh, the defendant of the burden of some or all of his sentence.
1: Gotcha. Now does Judge Jackson have to in some way uh, technically approve the, uh, the president's uh, issue of a, of a commutation here, isn't it already, uh, that, that power of clemency, isn't that already absolute and a done deal at this point, whether she a- approves of it or not?
0: Well, you've got a couple questions in, in that question there, Brad. Let me, so let me um, try to separate them out. Okay. Uh, one, one is whether Judge Jackson needs to approve, and the answer to that is no, uh, the, the president's power uh, of, Um, exercising a pardon or a commutation uh, is not dependent upon and and does not call for permission from a judge. Mm -hmm. But, and and this I'll get to uh, more fulsomely in a minute, but uh, it's not an absolute power. Mm -hmm. Uh, And so um, where, as in this case, it is being misused and unconstitutionally abused, uh, it's our position that the only way to enforce that constitutional provision uh, is for the judge to step in Hmm. uh, and declare it unconstitutional uh, and essentially reimpose the the sentence that had been imposed uh, on Roger Stone.
1: Okay, so in other words, if she takes no action here, this thing is essentially done and over, but she could jump in and uh, at least try to take some sort of action, um, and which I guess is what you're arguing for. So what is the constitutional and, and legal basis uh, for your argument, uh, as laid out by uh, Jed Sugarman and Ethan Lieb, uh, that uh, free speech for people believes should at least be considered by Judge Jackson in this case?
0: Sure. So so let let me start, uh, Brad, with where, where you left off kind of in that last question mm-hmm. with the suggestion that the power... Uh, of of pardoning of the president is absolute uh, because that's a common misperception um, both in the public at large and and frankly in the legal community and you you often heard that said um, and I think in your comments earlier when you referred to the president's considerable Article Two powers mm-hmm. um, that's actually a, a more accurate uh, summation of, mm-hmm. of of that power than the word absolute. Uh, the notion that the presidential pardon power or any other presidential power is absolute is it, just flat-out wrong and foreign, really, to the Constitution and to our whole system. We we don't live in an absolute monarchy, at least we're not supposed to. We're supposed to be living in a constitutional democracy. Uh, this is the whole reason the Founders fought a revolution and adopted a Constitution, was to overthrow even the, the watered-down absolute monarchy of the British crown and to ensure that we instead had a democracy and a government, including the president, of limited and constitutionally constrained powers. Mm -hmm. So the Constitution bestows certain powers on Congress and certain powers on the president, but as the Supreme Court has recognized, all those powers, including the pardon power, are subject to the textual constraints in the Constitution itself. So this is why, to take one example, if the president were to issue a full pardon to say, all white police officers who've injured or killed any black person, mm. these pardons would not be valid. They would be blatantly unconstitutional in violation of equal protection of the laws and other provisions of the Bill of Rights. To take a, a different example, suppose the president were to engage in a direct financial bribe, agreeing to issue a full pardon to Bernie Madoff mm-hmm. in exchange for a $5 million payment to Ivanka Trump and Jared Kushner. Mm-hmm. Most people would acknowledge that this pardon cannot be constitutionally valid.
1: Well, most people so, who aren't Trump supporters, but okay, press on, I take your point.
0: Okay, so <laughs> then the question is, well, what provision of the Constitution does that violate? Well, as you alluded to in describing our motion, in the very clause establishing the presidency itself, Article Two of the Constitution, the framers included language making clear that the presidency is, in effect, a public trust. Its powers must be exercised for the benefit of the public and not the personal benefit of the president. They specifically provided that the president is required to take care that the laws be faithfully exercised uh, and and executed, Mm -hmm. and, and they required the president to take an oath to faithfully execute the office of president. Now, granting a pardon or a commutation for a completely unlawful and illicit purpose is antithetical to this obligation to mm-hmm. ensure that the laws are faithfully executed. So where, where does that leave the Stone pardon? And, and you essentially captured the answer in your initial remarks, um, Brad, but to elaborate a little bit, mm-hmm. there's ample public evidence that this was part of an illicit bribe. Stone agreed to protect the president by refusing to tell the truth, even lying to investigators investigating the role of Trump in his campaign in Russia's unlawful interference in the 2016 election. And Trump agreed in exchange to protect Stone from the legal consequences of his conduct. But even if you don't characterize it at a, as a bribe, mm-hmm. at a minimum, the public evidence, including statements from Trump himself throughout these last several years mm-hmm. and from the White House in describing the reasons for this commutation, that ev- evidence demonstrates that Trump's purpose in commuting Stone's sentence is to reward him for covering up for trump Uh and to continue to protect trump so this is not faithful execution of the laws as required by article two this is obstruction of the law it's obstruction of justice and it's obstruction of lawful investigations all for corrupt and self-interested purposes and And so if there is to be any uh, remedy for that and any remedy Uh, To Roger Stone's situation, it's up to the court in this particular case to scrutinize the commutation. And if the judge agrees that the evidence that I've outlined briefly here is Mm -hmm. persuasive, to declare it constitutionally invalid and to order Roger Stone back to prison.
1: And, uh, in fact, Roger Stone himself, I think, in the in the days following his uh, commutation, said something along the lines of, you know, "They, they wanted me to talk. I didn't. Had I done so, it would have been much worse for the president or something along those lines. He seemed to be admitting that he was, in fact... Covering up for some crimes or another of the president, and so that is uh, as as you seem to describe it, the corrupt purpose that is not unlike a an actual financial bribe, a, a deal between the two of them. Has a has a grant of uh, of clemency by president, whether a, a pardon or a commutation, ever been blocked or overturned in the history of of our country?
0: not that i'm aware of brad um on the other hand uh we have never in the history of the country had a grant of commutation like this Mm -hmm. uh in which the president uh has granted a commutation to someone who has publicly acknowledged covering up for the president in order to protect the president and under circumstances in which there has been a public exchange between the president and the defendant mm-hmm. uh, about the purposes the corrupt purposes for the commutation so no we've we've not had uh, a pardon declared invalid and unenforceable by a judge but we have never had a pardon like this that has been so demonstrably <laughs>
1: Corrupt <laughs> and, and uh, never a president like this that has been so demonstrably corrupt. Of course, I hope that this uh, effort obviously is is successful. But to be frank, even if uh, Judge Jackson here approves your motion, Ben, uh, and if she concurs with you that the grant of clemency was improper or corrupt. I know it's down the road a bit but do you feel that this particular stolen US Supreme Court would ultimately concur even if you are right on the the law and and Jackson finds as much I mean you know this is a, a Supreme Court that was willing for example to issue a 5 to 4 ruling uh, literally in the the dead of night a few uh, a few just a few days ago to let the federal government kill a man execute a man and what appears to be in violation of their previous Death penalty related opinions. I'm not sure that this court is actually all that interested in facts and the law and the Constitution.
0: Well, cer- certainly that case gives one cause to doubt uh, whether it is. On the other hand, uh, a number of recent decisions suggest that there are at, at least uh, certain members of the conservative majority mm-hmm. um, willing to join. The more traditionally law-abiding minority of the court uh, in upholding the court's institutional reputation, and you know this this like uh, the cases recently in which the court effectively said, uh, no, Donald Trump is not immune from the laws, mm-hmm. and he must comply with lawful subpoenas, and he can't protect his tax returns from uh, being turned over mm-hmm. uh, in a criminal investigation that they uh, have shown a willingness to recognize that it's not their job to be Donald Trump's protectors uh, and that they do need to fill the role of holding him accountable. And I think that uh, there are members of the court that will recognize that if this kind of commutation is allowed to stand, they really will be setting a precedent that, in fact, it is an absolute power. Uh, and so the next time, hopefully it never happens again, but if we ever again have a president uh, as corrupt as this, people can line up, you know, to, to have their payments made and get their pardon, a yeah. million dollars per defendant, uh, and they get a pardon. And the president collects the million dollars from each one and issues pardons, and the court says, sorry, there's nothing we can do about it. We've said this power is absolute. I don't think we want to go down that road, and I think that there's enough justices that recognize that and will recognize that if this court gets to that if this case gets to them mm-hmm. that they may well agree that this is an invalid commutation and that it cannot stand.
1: Boy, I I hope you're right Ben and I have a question or two about that long line of people who may be lining up for those pardons in a second but when do you expect a ruling then on your motion here from Judge Jackson and again this is just to uh, get the permission to essentially submit your argument, your your brief. So if she accepts this uh, amicus brief, when, when would that be, when would when would that happen? And then if she does accept it, w- what would happen next at that point once she considers your brief?
0: Well, the shorter answer is we don't know because there's not, uh, you know, a particular process or timeline uh, under um, the court's rules or practices for this. Mm-hmm. Um, this is obviously an unusual circumstance, <laughs> but I would expect that we would get uh, an an answer reasonably soon as to whether the court will entertain our amicus brief, and I would anticipate that if the court does decide to grant permission to file it, that that we probably would be given a a fairly short period period of time to turn it around and get it submitted to the court. And I would anticipate, again, it's all up to the judge what the judge decides to do, but I would expect that if the court did allow us uh, to file the brief that the court would then uh, provide an opportunity for the parties, both uh, the lawyers for Mr. Stone and the lawyers for the Justice Department to uh, submit their own uh, briefs. And I would hope that if the court uh, did all those things, that uh, it would further offer an opportunity for uh, additional interested parties to weigh in on this issue. Mm -hmm. And then... Perhaps the court would make its decision uh, based on all of those written filings, or it's possible the court would decide that it wanted to take evidence, additional evidence. The the public record is already quite um, substantial on what the purposes of this commutation Mm -hmm. uh, were, but uh, the court might decide to take additional evidence by way of a hearing, and and then uh, would, would make a decision as to whether or not that this Commutation should be declared invalid.
1: Uh, absolutely uh, fascinating uh, motion, Ben, and and turn of events. I guess I should say, uh, and and I guess uh, some of this depends on how successful this effort is, but without it being successful, without it changing where we seem to be heading, uh, it seems that we can you know sort of see the writing on the wall here. Trump has already pardoned or granted uh, clemency to his friends and and campaign supporters like Sheriff Joe Arpaio. Now, Roger Stone, uh, do you have any doubt that similar clemency will soon come for his former national security adviser, Michael Flynn, who also li- lied to uh, federal uh, investigators about his conversations with Russian officials and concealed that he was a paid foreign agent of Turkey, and even uh, Paul Manafort, who did much of the same? Do you have any doubt that those are, are, are coming? First first part of that question, I'll let you answer
0: uh, I, I, no, no, I don't, Brad. I, I, I have no doubt. In, fa- in fact, in, in the case of Michael Flynn, uh, it's already here. Uh, the, the, the president is, is trying a shortcut through his, uh, I forget the description you used of, of the attorney general, but it was an apt one.
1: Fixer, uh, his fixer. His fixer, I think, yes, yes.
0: He's, he's already uh, got his fixer uh, uh-huh. on that case, uh, and his fixer, Attorney General Barr, uh, has essentially ordered his subordinates in the Justice Department to drop mm-hmm. uh, the case against Michael Flynn. And, and that issue continues to be litigated, as uh, I believe the current status is that uh, the district court judge has asked uh, for the full Court of Appeals to review the decision of, of a panel mm-hmm. of the Court of Appeals that had ordered him to go ahead and grant the dismissal. Right. So if that, if that decision of the Court of Appeals stands... Trump may be spared right. the, the need to pardon Michael Flynn. But if it goes the other way, and ultimately the case against uh, Michael Flynn is not dropped, then I, I fully expect, mm-hmm. as you suggest, that uh, Trump would seek to pardon Flynn, and he may well seek, as you suggest, to pardon or commute the sentence uh, of Manafort. I, I think one of his co-conspirators that is not likely to be getting a pardon or a commutation is Michael Cohen (laughs) uh, and the reasons for that differential treatment are quite obvious
1: yeah well and actually I think that in in one sense uh, supports your case here I mean here was a guy who who, you know uh, uh, conspired with Donald Trump in many of these same efforts before he was elected president and in Michael Cohen's case uh, he did sing uh, on uh, what he knew about Donald Trump, and he was allowed to go to jail. Roger Stone didn't sing about what he knew, and uh, he was uh, granted this favor of, uh, of clemency by the President of the United States. Ben, I've got just a minute or two here, but with, with all of this in mind, and, and Trump's obvious interest in wanting to pardon people who might protect him— The larger question, it seems to me, uh, before leaving office, whenever that might be, do you suspect that he would also use that power, that considerable power, to grant preemptive pardons to many other friends and, and close officials, and particularly I'm thinking of his family members, and yes, himself, and if he does, would any of that be legal and or constitutional?
0: And and, and that would turn on many of the same issues that we're seeking to raise here Mm -hmm. uh, in Roger Stone's case. For for the same reasons that we believe the commutation of Stone's sentence is unconstitutional, those pardons that you're anticipating would likely be unconstitutional as well. Mm -hmm. Um, But yeah, I, I, I think the broader point perhaps you're making, Brad, is whatever happens to our motion here. This issue is not going away. This is an issue that's going to be that's going to loom large over the remainder of this presidency. Yeah.
1: Yeah, And I think that's another reason why this case is important, no matter how it comes out, uh, at least to have this argument in place before he starts uh, his, uh, you know, pardons uh, for himself in his own self-interest for his own corrupt purpose. Ben, I'm I'm short on time here, so we didn't even get to discuss some questions I had about your book. Maybe we'll do that da- down the line in the future. You, you are the co-author with our friend John Bonifaz and uh, Ron Fine of the book The Constitution Demands It, The Case for the Impeachment of Donald Trump. I think there still may be an argument in the not-too-distant future to impeach him again and or impeach, yes, his fixer, Bill Barr. But we're going to have to save that for another time. I hope you'll stay in touch with us as this moves forward. It's a fascinating case, a fascinating turn of events. There's so much else going on. I think few have noticed it, but I suspect they will notice it, particularly if uh, Judge Amy Berman Jackson uh, grants your motion. Uh, to allow this brief to move forward. Uh, Ben Clements, he's the board chair and senior legal advisor at Free Speech for People. You can find uh, their important work at freespeechforpeople.org, and you can follow them on the Twitters at FSFP. Ben Clements, really appreciate you joining us today on the broadcast, sir. Thank you, Brad. Great to be with you. Thank you, Counselor. All right, we'll take a quick break. And I got to tell you, by the way, uh, Free Speech for People, uh, that was uh, set up by our friend John Boniface. Great organization. Yes. Could really use your support other than for, uh, you know, not just on cases like this, but they have, uh, they're have they doing some crucial work on elections, election integrity.
2: And election security yep. and election laws. Um, yep. It's It's very encouraging that there are people out there who are still fighting, who are not giving up.
1: We don't, you know, uh, recommend a lot of organizations out there. I know there's a lot of organizations that, you know, fight for Democrats and whatever. But uh, f- folks who really stand up for, A, progressives, but, B, the Constitution and the progressive fight uh, for it uh, are, are rare indeed, and they are not necessarily uh, well-supported out there. So, uh, org. Which uh, came together, by the way, to uh, create a new amendment to uh, overturn Citizens United. And they're still on that job as well. All right. Quick break. And we are back. We could use some good news today. I think I got some. That's coming up next on the Bradcast. I'm Brad Friedman. New York and all of us. Welcome back to the Bradcast. Brad Friedman from Bradblog.com. It is official, or as close as we generally come to it in this country. AP has finally called a winner in the June 23 primary in New York in a much-watched primary race from three weeks ago that is on par with New York's Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez's successful primary victory against 10-term Democrat Joe Crowley back in 2018. Former middle school principal Jamal Bowman has toppled 16-term U.S. Congressman Elliot Engel in New York's Democratic primary in another upset victory for the party's progressive wing many votes cast by mail in the race have still still yet to be counted what are we three weeks past the um uh june 23rd race
2: yes it's a horror a whole society I, has collapsed I this know, wait is just uh, in- impossible i
1: know i hope our friends in new york are okay and they're going to make it This will give you an idea of, you know, what we could be looking at uh, in November. It's not going to be that night of necessarily before we know how uh, the races come out, including perhaps the presidential race. In any event, even with mail votes out there still to be counted, AP's analysis of absentee ballots returned so far indicated on Friday that Bowman's lead from votes cast in person is now too large for Engel to overcome. Bowman himself declared victory in the race on the day after the primary, June 24. And so did our guest that day on the broadcast, congressional expert and progressive champion Howie Klein of Down With Tyranny. He told us that it looked like Bowman was going to be the ultimate winner there. And it appears, at least according to AP now, that uh, Howie was right. A uh, political novice who has never held public office before, the 44-year-old Bowman According to AP, was a progressive African-American challenger who said Engel, the white 73-year-old chair of the House Foreign Affairs Committee, had lost touch with his economically and racially diverse district. By defeating Engel, Bauman uh, replicated the success of AOC, who defeated uh, the powerful New York City Democrat Joe Crowley in a neighboring congressional district just two years ago. The campaign was the latest proxy battle between the party's progressive and what AP calls their pragmatic wing. I would call it its centrist wing. It's I'm sorry, its conservative wing. Bowman was uh, endorsed by AOC, as well as uh, Senators Bernie Sanders and Elizabeth Warren, while Engel picked up support from Hillary Clinton and U.S. Senator uh, Chuck, Chuck Schumer. It was, in fact, Clinton's first U.S. House endorsement of the year, I believe, but it did Engel little good, it seems. Jamal Bowman grew up in public housing in New York City. He was a teacher and school counselor for several years before becoming the founding principal of a Bronx middle school called the Cornerstone Academy for Social Action. His district is heavily Democratic, so the primary winner of this race is virtually assured of victory in the general election in November I should say, virtually assured, because anything can happen. Uh, yes, definitely. And then. Don't
2: relax. No, you can never please relax don't. on this. Please
1: don't. But in any event, uh, for now, for those of you who think that voting doesn't matter, they're all terrible, they're all corrupt, both parties, Democrats are no better than Republicans. Well, I would tell you that that is the dumbest, most self-defeating laziest thinking in the world, if Bowman uh, proves to be even half, uh, to have half of the effect that AOC has proven to have on the Democratic caucus itself at large, uh, and hopefully the next Democratic presidency uh, in the coming term, that that one election uh, in New York, like AOC's, will have been well worth its weight in gold. You can't win if you don't play, as they used to say about the New York lottery This year, more than ever before, we need everybody playing in every state, in every congressional district, in
2: every race,
1: every race, every city, every town. Yes, every school district in this country. If we are going to pull this nation out of this hole and no, it does not happen overnight. Nobody said it was going to be easy. But it can and it does happen if we hang in there, if we keep on fighting the good and righteous fight for peace and equality and justice for all. We will continue that fight on the next Bradcast, and I hope you will be there with us for it. We need you. Until then, my thanks to my guest today, Ben Clements of freespeechforpeople.org, to our producer, Desi Doyen, for hanging in there every day, (laughs) uh, and to all of you for spending a portion of your day or night with us. If you missed any portion of today's show, download it anytime for free at bradblog.com. You—that uh, is made possible by those of you who support our work at bradblog.com/donate, with a one-time donation or a uh, automated monthly donation of any amount you can afford. It is all greatly appreciated. Drop me email. I'm Bradcast at bradblog.com on the Facebooks and the Twitters. I am the Brad Blog. We'll see you there. Until we see you here next time, I'm Brad Friedman. Good luck, world.